I'm Patrick Martins. And I'm Shauna Pacifico. And this is The Main Course. We like to say if it's Sunday, it's The Main Course. It's Sunday, The Main Course. Meet the Press kind of uses that. <laughs> oh, yeah? But not to as much fanfare. <laughs> I, but not at all, I don't think. How, ma- how, many, how many listeners do you think we have? Um, our stock answer is a million, a but million. it's probably closer <laughs> to like a hundred live listeners. Okay, that's but not then, bad. Because we built the site as a, an archive, um, you know, we get like uh, thousands and thousands of hits a week, people downloading. And now we have MP3s. We have downloadable stuff. Oh, you do? That's yes. news. There's a beautiful little logo next to each program and you so can you pick can... any show and listen to it on your iPhone. There you go. Oh, it's about time. It's amazing. Moving these, on like, up. these young kids, they know so much. <laughs> well, we have a very exciting show. Um, today, we are brought to you by one of the greatest, most powerful businesses in the world. Oh, really? Saxelby Cheesemongers. <laughs> Evil power business. No, they <laughs> no, help no. people. No, Saxelby. I buy my cheese from Saxelby. What uh, cheeses do you have on the menu right now from Saxelby um, Cheese Shop? I, uh, I have a square goat cheese on the menu. It's from Twig Hill, Vermont. Okay. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and then I also do... Um, what else is there? Oh, there's the small um, mi- uh, mini burratas, which mm. is like a, the mozzarella pouch stuffed with creamy, soft mozzarella, creamy goodness. Um but there's no mozzarella de bufala in America, like made in America on any real scale, huh? I uh, I don't know the answer to that. But it's like a national cheese of but Italy. This is, but this is fresh made mozzarella. I don't know if it's de bufala, but okay. it's definitely um, cow. Cow? That's like But buffalo. it's really good. And then we get a goat feta oh. from her. So, for your Greek salad, yes. When she has to deliver cheese, she needs to get a car to deliver it because I have to order so much. Oh, really? Yeah. So anyway, we're brought to you by Saxelby Cheesemongers, which is located at the Essex Street Market. Um, and what else? We have a pretty cool show. Um, we're going to be uh, talking with the gentleman from the River Project. We're going to have uh, JT and Chris on to talk more about, I guess, fish. In the Hudson. I didn't think they lived in the Hudson. (laughs) Yes, and maybe talk about the pollution of the Hudson. And my question is, is it still safe to swim in there? I know that people do swim in there, but... Maybe we can ask them. You can ask them if that's how they catch all their fish, just by swimming swimming in there and (laughs) grabbing them. So um, we also are going to have Jacques from uh, the chef and owner of Palo Santo, uh, one of Park Slope's and Brooklyn's best restaurants. It's very good. If not the best, as he would say. I had the best black beans and eggs. It's really good. He's a very interesting sourcer. I want to talk to him about sourcing. Okay. Um, So we're going to um, take a break. But, I mean, we should mention, and this is going to be talked a lot more about uh, the Q report, but uh, Senator Ted Kennedy passed away this week. And um, I thought it was appropriate to mention on the main course because he founded Meals on Wheels. Oh, really? I like didn't know that. Every chef is uh, has are, done something with it. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> that's a way he's really affected food. And I love what he wrote. Uh, said, "I am part of all who I've met, whom I've met." Huh. And Sounds like a wise man. <laughs> he really is, but he seemed like that. You know, some people are born wealthy and to power, and they are about keeping it or just following what they know. And he was a guy who, you know, really tried to rise uh, poor people. You know, from their bad destiny so we honor him on the main course yes we do 
And uh, what else should we talk about? Right now or they later? They said he was a Rabelaisian figure. A what? Rabelais was that medieval cartoonist who was like, he, he wrote about Gargantua and all these like weird carnivalesque drinking, you know. Uh-huh. It, anyway, Kennedy was kind of a Rabelaisian figure. Which has to do with carnival, but oh, we won't make that. <laughs> they did call him a Reblesian figure. I know you want to ask me. Go ahead. <laughs> so were you like in the carnival and stuff? I did grow up in the car- carnival business. I am oh a carny kid. Oh, yes. my God. Traveling around selling. Uh, my parents uh, sold food at uh, fairs anywhere from the Midwest to the East Coast. Wow. Did you use this? Did you hear this a lot? The old carnival side uh, muscle. No. <laughs> so, uh, what kinds of food did they prepare? Uh, we did what you call elephant ears, hmm. uh, fried dough, which is known here in the New York area, uh, zeppelis. Zeppelis, yeah. but they're flattened out. It's basically like a fried flatbread with butter and cinnamon sugar on top. Uh, and then, well, actually, my whole entire family does it. My uncle, he has a whole line of Italian sausages and London broils and steak sandwiches and corn dogs. And my sister does cinnamon rolls. My brother mm. does fried vegetables. Yes, I'm a I'm a line of a come from a line of carny folks. Carny folks and carny food, which actually sounds very delicious. So you moved down actually when you became head chef of Back Forty. <laughs> I'm the only one that got away, actually. Oh really? Yeah, I I uh, I left I left town a while ago and I haven't been back since. But I do still miss it sometimes. What were your favorite uh, or most striking carny character that you had met over the years? Uh, well, that's kind of a misconception oh, yeah? in a sense. Like they're just regular people. They just live a different lifestyle. I mean, uh, was I mean, one the, guy well, particularly no, tall I mean, or strong? Or? No, it's not like, the, it's not a freak show. It's just a business, a big business that a lot of people do independently. Okay. Sorry. I mean, you know, I just no, have it's this fine. romantic it's, vision of running away with the circus. Like I think every kid has and you kind of But it's not a circus. It. It's different. Oh, Okay. It's different. There's it's circuses more like games and yeah, stuff. Yeah, games and rides. And, I mean, it's a huge multi-million dollar business. Um, if the games were unfair and rigged against the consumer, would you speak out? Uh, they aren't rigged. They're just hard to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're made to, for you not to win. I mean, it's not like... Right. But there's actually... I think there's like some kind of law. If, it, if it's really, really made for you not to win at all, then they can't be on... I can't use it. And where was this? Uh, state of Florida? No, I'm from Florida, but they we traveled all around the U.S. Unbelievable. You yep. should be a guest, a full hour on uh, your travels. On my carnival business. <laughs> Have you ever written a book or journals? Uh, no, but I, you know, th- there's a thought in the back of my head to, to write about it. It's an exciting life. Well, It's interesting. We are going to uh, take our 30-second break and come back with uh, JT and Chris Anderson and talking about our river.
It's uh, Sunday. This is the main course. Um, I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Shada Pacifica. And it's a beautiful day at Roberta's. Uh, for people who have not been to Roberta's, uh, they should come. It's absolutely delicious food. And there's a radio studio uh, built out of two shipping containers in the back. And pictures of mimosas, which make me very happy. My God, poor Francis at the bar is going to be ticked. That took him like one hour to make that picture. Oh, it did not. <laughs> um... We have some very interesting guests. We actually have Jacques uh, from uh, Palo Santo. He's going to be... uh... Guys, you know we can hear music in our ears, right? (laughs) Okay, just making sure. We're produced by... Semi-produced... No, just kidding. We're produced (laughs) by Jack Inslee and uh, engineered by Nat Wiener. Um, Jack Inslee is also known as Rectech. Um, we have Jacques from Palo Santo, who's going to be coming in a little later, but you might be hearing his voice. And right now, we're going to talk to J.T. Bame and Chris Anderson, who are prominent figures in New York's River Project. Welcome. Thank you. What is the River Project? Um, well, it's a marine science field station uh, at Pier 40 in Manhattan, and uh, we concentrate on educating the public on uh, a lot of the issues that face the Hudson River. And uh, we like to let people know that there's a lot of life living beneath the surface and give them ways to uh, conserve it so we have them in the future. What are some of the ways that you are educating the public? What are some of the programs you're offering? Well, I'm the educator, so I do all of those types of programs. Um, We do a lot of field trips. So we'll have students anywhere from five, six years old, young kids, all the way through uh, college and uh, through grad school. We have a lot of NYU students that come and do a lot of work with us. Um, So we like to bring students to the river, uh, get them close to the water, and we do a lot of different activities. We do a lot of fish trapping, and um, we discuss a lot of uh, conservation efforts going on uh, across the uh, the Hudson River, and uh, we really focus on the Hudson River estuary, which is uh, the mixture of salt and fresh water from the Atlantic Ocean up um, about, I guess, 65 miles probably from Manhattan Mm -hmm. up to Newburgh, uh, and then all the way beyond up to Troy, New York, which is about 150 miles. So there's tidal influence, uh, which means that the tides rise and fall twice a day, all the way up to uh, the dam in uh, Troy, New York. So... Uh, it's so a very that interesting Troy to Newburgh, it's that little <clears throat> pocket where the most interesting stuff is happening in the river? Well, actually, Newburgh is about where the salt usually goes up to from the Atlantic Ocean. So that's oh. quite, a, yeah, it's quite a long ways. Oh, that's um, yeah, so the, the Hudson's tidal all the way up till Troy, which, which means is about half the river. Right, which means that it rises and falls just like, just like the ocean does. Uh, Twice, twice a day. And that's unusual for a river to have tides. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't normally think of it like that. It has to be an estuary. It has to be connected to uh, an ocean to be able to do that. Otherwise, inland rivers are obviously not going to do that. So the ocean ends up, even though the river flows out, there's still obviously an effect going both ways. Exactly. In, ter- in yeah. terms of tide. And- but it doesn't always flow out. It flows, sometimes it goes north, sometimes it goes south. Is that true? I mean, which uh, which direction does... I mean, the Nile fl- flows north, right? And the Hudson? Yeah, the, well, the, the, the river flows back and forth, essentially, with the tides, but okay. the fresh water's flowing out towards the ocean. Ocean water's coming in, and so depending on the 
tidal pull, the water's going sort of moving back and forth and going towards towards the ocean. Very interesting. Wow. And so that you know that one that's one thing that makes uh, the estuary so productive is because you have nutrients coming down from the mountains and the watershed, and then also things moving into the estuary from the ocean. So you have like a mixing effect, which creates a lot of productivity for so traditionally estuaries are some of the most productive places um in the ocean or in most productive aquatic ecosystems in the world for fish fish production and you know overall it's also the the crossroads of salmon right i mean not here but i mean that estuaries are where salmon are able to make that run between salt and freshwater right yeah and we actually have our own type of Salmon are fish that are born in freshwater, and then they live their life in the ocean. So they're and then they come back. And we actually like striped bass are similar type hmm. fish. So they're born in freshwater, then they go out, live most of their life in the ocean, and then come back to spawn in in the Hudson. So there's millions of striped bass in in, in our area. And like the salmon, do they return back to the exact spot in which they were born? I don't know if that's really known exactly or not. I mean, there's probably been tagging uh, projects that have been done. But, yeah, I mean, definitely within the same area. So they all come mm-hmm. back into the estuary or even go farther upstate into more fresh water to, to spawn and then, um, and then return back to the, to the sea for most of their lives. How polluted is the Hudson River still? It's, it's getting a lot better. Um, I'd that say, doesn't sound good. <laughs> well... It's, it's it's I want to be optimistic um and we all it's are relatively polluted. Yeah, I mean it it's still it's still in trouble and that's one of the main reasons we are trying to educate people about it and get people close to it to get uh um to get some more interaction to be able to uh want to conserve it. And uh since the Clean Water Act of 1972, it's steadily improved and uh wastewater from businesses uh, from uh businesses and uh, factories uh, that's much more regulated now um so in the last 30 years i'd say it's really really drastically improved um yeah. but is it uh, safe is it sa- i mean well one of the yeah one of the things that makes it that you know creates an issue with eating fish from the river and are a lot of the industrial pollutants from back in you know the day are still there so they don't pcbs and other thing dioxins and things that have just been trapped down in the sediment um prior to the clean water act uh are still around and will be for a long time unless they're dredged out or kind of washed out of the system Mm -hmm. so that's one of the things that kind of makes the harbor and the hudson so how do you test it so you do um passive trapping you were saying which you basically throw traps down and passively catch whatever you get and then you test them for use them for research well why do you catch the fish i mean that's really interesting and also how you trap them and then like what studies do you do with them yeah well we we have been doing sort of a biodiversity assessment uh for since 1986 we've been collecting fish um and invertebrates also crabs shrimp um, lots of different snails, all sorts of different uh, creatures that live there. But uh, we collect all these different things and um, and kind of monitor trends uh, uh, in populations. So we get to see uh, how well certain species, a group of species, are doing 
Um, and if they're, uh, if we see populations going up one year, that might tell us that it might be an, a good indicator uh, that the health of the harbor, the health of the river, um, is improving. Or if we see, uh, if we see less of a species, um, one at, at a certain t- time of the year or, or a certain year, then we might know that there has maybe been like a, an outflow of toxins from some industrial mm. area or something like that. But yeah, it's a, all these species are good to um, constantly monitor to be able to be an indicator for the health of the and area. How can you, ca- I mean, you catch one fish? I mean, how do you <clears throat> monitor populations? I understand <clears throat> that you can catch one of something, but... I yeah. mean, uh, do you have underground technology, or I mean, how how do you know how the fish are running as a group? Well, the you know doing continuous trapping year you know week after week and year after year kind of also gives us an idea of mm-hmm. when the fish come into and use the estuary. So it also teaches us about about the life cycle of the fish. So mm-hmm. when we pull up, you know, when we do the trapping, we just over time you you know you'll see trends depending on how much the the conditions of the water and the season which fish like to be in the area where we are which is the lower hudson and the estuary at what time periods um well i have a list here of some fish that you guys have have uh, trapped over the years let's talk about a couple of them um we have american eel oyster toadfish mm-hmm. hmm. Uh, lined seahorse, and obviously striped bass. Uh, what, what's so special about? Yeah, that's a chef Jacques being like, "There's snapper right here." Do you know how snapper. cheap that would be with <laughs> no transportation? They're more in the marine area, the snapper, but they are around New York. <laughs> Do they get lost? Was <laughs> my question. But yeah, I mean, all of those set fish- up a foghorn now. Oh, no, wait, That's a weird foghorn. Yeah. Hold on, this is the... Jacques's going to do a lookout for a snapper. Hold on. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, all those fish that, you know, you mentioned are pretty common in our area, and they all have interesting life histories and different things about them, like the American eel. You talk about the salmon, which is known to spawn in freshwater and then migrate out and live its life in the ocean. The American eel is actually the opposite so they are almost all the Amer- all the american eels are believed to breed in the sargassum sea in the middle of the ocean they breed there and then they as juveniles get swept up into rivers and they'll actually like the hudson then they live for 25 30 years up in the fresh water and then all of the eels when they reach maturity, they migrate thousands of miles back to the Sargassum 25, Sea. 30 years? Uh, yeah, they that's can live a long time. But where's the Sargassum time? Sea? I thought I've I never... knew all the oceans and seas. <laughs> it's I've sort of out there that. in the middle of the it, ocean. It's just a part of the Atlantic? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's where... Uh, what makes it its own... What Would you call that a watershed? That... Yeah, yeah, I'm not too sure. What, what is a watershed exactly? I mean, people hear that all the time. I mean, is it just an, uh, a terroir of uh, of water? The, uh, well, I mean, a watershed is generally a, a river system, in, including all of its tributaries. Um, and in our case, we have the Hudson River, which is uh, which is tidal, so uh, it influences lots of different uh, rivers and tributaries mm-hmm. that are connected to it. And so, the Hudson River being a major uh, a, a major body of water. It really affects um, a lot of uh, a lot of environments around it, and and with it being tidal, uh, it 
it means that also some streams around it um, are tidal, but a watershed is generally all of the tributaries connected to okay. to a river. The, so back to the EL. I mean, are, what were you no, no I was just going to say that the Edible Manhattan did a uh, article in one of their first uh, magazines about uh, watersheds and yeah, that was written by Brian Howell. Yeah, I and the, how that it's kind of like terroir, how that affects the the, the flavor and the things of of, mm-hmm. of animals and plants that are. Um, watered by the these and also these the watersheds. pizza and the beers you know they say brooklyn water has a certain thing to it yeah. i mean it's a very it's subversive it's so important you know it's mm-hmm. so everywhere mm-hmm. that you you, for, you one don't, forgets yeah, you don't even about, think it. about it but uh, tell us about this i mean this eel is amazing mm-hmm. and i didn't know there was another ocean out there a, a sea within the atlantic <laughs> that's really cool but uh what were some of the other ones uh we have oyster toadfish which mm-hmm. is is that oyster or fish <laughs> it's, it's a fish it's really common uh in the Hudson River, it it looks like a toad, I guess, uh, which it has it, like barnacles on it. Um, it, <laughs> it. Barnacles don't actually grow on it, but um, it does have a lot of uh, fleshy lobes coming off of it, and it it's it. I mean, some people say it's ugly, but it's it's Sounds almost so attractive. ugly it's cute. Um, yeah. But and they're called oyster toadfish because <laughs> only a scientist. I know. I was going to say that. Uh, only or uh, they're called oyster toadfish because. They typically live in oyster reef systems, so uh, not many people know this nowadays because uh, it's not uh, relevant in our day-to-day life like it used to be, but uh, the Hudson River and the New York Harbor used to be covered with 350 square miles of oyster reefs, so that's a very, very productive system, and we used to be the largest exporter of oysters in the world. Really? Yeah, and we don't have many oysters left anymore and we certainly don't have any reefs uh in the hudson river or in the new york harbor really um but we uh we're doing a lot to try to bring that bring them back because uh it promotes biodiversity having these crazy systems and they filter the water they do a lot of good things so what happened to the reef it's gone we ate them yeah we (laughs) and killed we definitely yeah we we ate ate it all um, so um, let me ask this from the culinary perspective. I mean, we have uh, two great chefs here. Um, tell us, I mean, are any of these edible and are markets growing? Or, I mean, what, from the edible food perspective, what, do you have any fish that you've caught? Uh, they're edible, to, uh, but it's recommended that you don't eat much of them per week or per month. Each sort of fish and species has its own... Um, Guidelines. Oysters, no, not edible. Not Out from of New here. York Harbor. From Long Island Sound, yeah, there's still active fisheries, but other fish, depending on where they live and how far they swim and but stuff. But you can fish in the Hudson. Like, yeah, could sure. a restaurant fish in the Hudson and serve uh, that fish? Not commercial. Not recommended. Yeah. But but is it illegal? Like, we could go and you could catch a striped bass and take it home and eat it. It's no problem. But you can you can't sell it. I couldn't take catch it and sell it to a restaurant. Is so. there a movement towards people who just fished in? Like, I mean, if you fished in Maine, a chef would be like, "Yes, I want your fish. That's amazing." Or down in South Carolina. But what about New York State? I mean, are there any people selling Hudson River caught fish? Well, there's. I, I would assume there's some kind of you know stigma to it of you know no you know people are afraid to eat a lot of things from the Hudson River because of the polluted pollution and yet level. the fish might just pass through the polluted area go to the atlantic right. and then exactly. it's okay that's a good point yeah so there's a lot of migratory patterns here and they might pass through a polluted area or spend a certain amount of time in a in a heavily polluted area but they, 
like striped bass, like we talked about, those are the most uh, sought after sport fish probably in the area. The, those with bluefish. Um, that, but the striped bass will come in, spend not you know not not a, a huge amount of time in a, a polluted area like the Hudson River, uh, but will spend a lot of time in in the Atlantic. So uh, they're generally thought of as being safe to eat and. They are still ca- caught as a sport fish um, in this area quite a bit, but uh, not not like it used to be, of course. You have I just noticed here you have porgy on the li- uh, or scup used to be the name of it. Porgy is the best. I have porgy in my <laughs> menu. I, well, not on my menu. I do it as a special, and I don't get it from the Hudson, but I do get it from Long Island. And yeah, it's a really really good fish. Yeah. I mean, but most people don't. They want to throw it out because they don't even know anything about it. But it's great fish. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're great fish. Uh, we we see them fairly infrequently in uh at our pier at pier 40 but uh we do see them every year but yeah they're they're excellent for eating that's for sure so um and then i, I want to ask um well anyway it's just very interesting i mean for do-it-yourselfers out there who knows maybe there's a striped bass business um we should probably we have about six minutes left i have one more fish to ask about okay yeah because this is kind of interesting um there's seahorse in Ooh. the Hudson River. Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're pretty cute. Uh, are they cute? What, a lined seahorse. Where well, they? How many is there? Is there a lot? What's you know? What's uh, their purpose there? This year we've been catching a decent amount, but they they're uh, they're around. They tend to be. We usually find them from April until November, in the warmer months, and there's quite a bit of them. There's uh, even more there. Their closest relative is a pipefish, which kind of looks like a long, stretched-out version of a seahorse, and they're really abundant all over New York. What what do they What do they eat, and what eats them? They eat uh, little shrimp. Fish, if fish will eat them. Uh, other things eat them. They're not, you know, there's not a lot to them. They're mostly bony, uh, so they're not. Uh, and they camouflage really well, so I think that's what sort of keeps them around. Yeah, they're they're very slow moving, so they don't uh, have good defense mechanisms. Um, in that sense, they can't swim away from a predator. But uh, so they have good camouflage, and they hang out and they hang on to sticks and and onto plants and other material debris in the in the river. So there's actually quite a few of them. We probably caught forty or forty five mm-hmm. of them this year. Uh, which is quite a few for uh, just a few months. And they're going upriver from the ocean, or they're they're kind of just coming up for a little bit and then going back out. They they live, uh, you know, mostly are marine species, the seahorse. But they, it, you know, it's thought that they migrate in from the uh, deeper waters in the winter, and then they like to be in the estuaries. And normally they're associated with uh, vegetation, eelgrass, things like that. So we find them hanging on to things like like rope or our crab our crab pots or the traps that we have they like to hang on hang on to it as habitat and wow just kind of very cool well yep. we have um jack actually um is working on getting us a new show from uh we have this great show called um why we cook hosted by erica wides and her father is an important guy at the natural history museum all about like marine life and all these kind of New York State type of things. So uh, fascinating, and hopefully you can be on his show. Um, we need to take a break, and then we should come back, I think, for a short like six minute because we have so much. We haven't talked about Kathy Drew, who I know is your founder, what people can do to help. 
Um, and, uh, you know, who are some of the other people in your program? So uh, we'll take a 30-second break and come back for some information-packed finales. Sunday um, at beautiful Roberta's Restaurant at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. The sky has cleared. It is. And that it, storm is gone. It wants. I know I shouldn't attribute human emotions to inanimate objects, but I was saying it wants to come out. The sun wants to come out. <laughs> it does want to come it out. It finally came. Um, this is the main course, and we have very interesting, almost like natural history moment where we study. I love personalities of animals. Uh-huh. Like, why does the eel do that? Where uh-huh. does it go? You know, what's its destiny? Um, so we have these great guys at JT Bame and Chris Anderson. Um, and let's just ask some questions. First of all, who founded? I mean, Kathy Drew, I know, is the founder. Like, who is she? And tell me a little bit about the history of the River Project. Yeah, Kathy Drew is our founder uh, and our executive director. She started the River Project in 1986, and uh, she's been working uh, very hard since then to um, educate the public and and really uh, bring people close to uh, the Hudson River estuary and the New York Harbor and uh, and, uh, just promoting overall conservation. Uh, in general, of aquatic e- ecosystems in New York City area, but she's uh, she's an excellent person, and she's uh, a, she's a great character, and she's uh, uh, she's really exciting. If you ever get a chance to talk to her, I would uh, I would recommend it. She's very fun. Um, but yeah, she started this in 1986. We were at Pier 26 um, uh, in Tribeca, and the structural Pier 26. Yeah, huh? Pier 26. You and, have a, a base there. Uh... Uh, we were there, and uh, the pier actually started becoming structurally unsound and mm. falling, actually falling into the river. So uh, they redid the whole um, Tribeca waterfront and ripped out our pier. And uh, we're so now we're at uh, we're temporarily displaced at Pier 40. Um, but Kathy was there for 20 years. Uh, what with, a way to go, though, for yeah. the River Project. I yeah. mean, if you had to go somehow because the pier broke, yeah, yeah. you were doing your job so well. We're grassroots. <laughs> and now tell us, who is, um, I mean, A, just running a water preservation, species preservation research center is amazing. Tell us the various roles of the four or five people you have working there, also so that others can see like who you positioned where and what each one does. Well, I'm the educator, so I do all the educational programs. Um, 
And JT? Wait, yeah, I do. Um, aquatic. My title's Aquatic Projects Manager, so I work on a lot of uh, the... Uh, do a bunch of different things, but uh, sort of help with the wet lab and also set up and uh, oversee different research projects that we work on. We've got a couple of our coworkers, Nina Zane and Nikki Sahadi. Um, we all sort of have do we're all sort of jack of all trades mm-hmm. when it comes to things that we do at the river project but um we do a lot of you know a lot of research education we try and facilitate researchers if we can um who want to do work on at the on the hudson and uh bring as many people to the waters possible so i guess a question i would pose to both of you or um what has been the river project's greatest success to date and what legacy would you like to leave with it? Like, is there some project looming on the horizon that you would like to see, you know, fulfilled or accomplished? Well, Kathy um, really had a big role in making the Hudson River uh, estuary an estuary of national significance, and that was in the mid to late 80s. Uh, and that has really brought a lot of attention and uh, to the to the estuary, the specific area, like we talked about with the uh, the salt and the tidal influence, um, so that's pro- I, I mean I, I would say that's that's huge. Uh, so that's uh, that's brought a lot of attention to the area and um, been it's given us the opportunity to actually conserve it and do what do what we want um, and actually take action in uh, in in really protecting the area. So that's huge. Yeah, and another thing, one thing that we had at Pier 26, which we don't have now, but we hope to get back, is an estuarium. So we have we have a couple thousand gallons of tanks set up for our wet lab that we do research with. But at the old pier, we had also a, a system that would, you know, um, basically a public aquarium for people to come in and see the different animals and species that live in the river. And we hope that we can go back to pier 26 at some point in the future and build and and set up a new estuarium which you know freed for the public so uh mm-hmm. to real museum of sorts yeah. yeah a little bit with but mostly live organisms so it's pretty cool mm-hmm. and um i guess i have one more question then john if you want to close out if you have a question i mean i, I want to know like what our listeners can do to help um, is there you guys are a 501c3 correct so yeah. how do people learn more about <clears throat> your what, what's 501? Nonprofit tax deduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are we are a nonprofit. Um, well, people can always go to theriverproject.org, okay. and uh, they'll be able to see what we're up to. And uh, it's it's a really cool site with a lot of uh, interesting links and a lot of interesting um, things to look at. And we have fish sounds, and we have a lot of uh, basically all our current projects and our plans for the future and our, and our, our accomplishments in the past. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I guess the one thing that I, I would say uh, that well the two things I guess uh, first of all get to the water get to the Hudson River learn about it uh, understand that it's very important and it's very um, it's very user friendly there's a lot of recreation opportunities and, and this is uh, these are things that not everybody in New York knows about and not a lot of people I mean half the people who come to our pier or come to the river are actually almost scared of, of the water because uh-huh. they've grown up in New York City and you don't uh, you don't think about it on a day-to-day basis, and you think it's kind of a scary, polluted place where, oh, uh-huh. if I fall in, I'm dead. Um, <laughs> but things have changed so much now. You can kayak, and you can go on uh, boat rides, and I, I definitely encourage 
uh, people triathlons can, triathlon you can yeah, swim in it sign up for that like she was on the uh on pace for the gold medal until she died from pollution in the hunt no <laughs> that's not the case no that's that's not the attitude to have sorry <laughs> um well you guys have been amazing and uh you know when we're on this um when we're on heritage radio we strive to we talk about food we strive to talk. We talk about food. We talk about. We talk about. We talk about. We talk about food. What are you doing? Jeez. Nice on the sound effects. I think it's just playing over and over. Anyway, you guys have been awesome. Very interesting. I hope you guys come back uh, on this show or on other shows on the network. And um, I guess we wish you the best of luck with your amazing work. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. We'll be right back in 30 seconds with Jacques Gauthier from Palo Santo. It's Meet the Course. I'm Patrick Martins. And I'm Shauna Pacifico. We have a sponsorship thanks to Saxo Beach Cheesemongers in the Essex Street Market, all east of the east of the Mississippi cheeses. It's amazing. Best you'll ever find. And our second and final guest of the show is a very big supporter of all things sustainable, Jacques Gauthier from Palo Santo. Welcome, Jacques. Thank you. So um, tell us. I'm going to start it off. Go ahead. Why don't we go one 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 one? Because I have like a bunch of questions you I want to ask. Yeah. Um, tell us how you came to. Tell us about the history of Palo Santo. It's such an interesting restaurant. The way it's placed right there on Union Street, correct? On Union between Fourth and Fifth. So how did you find that place? It seems like it's just a regular apartment that you made a restaurant out of. And tell a little bit about the cuisine that you do there as well. The building has an interesting history. Actually, uh, about uh, 100 years ago, it was uh, turned into a ravioli shop. It was later a candy store. And then it was uh, some type of, um, not quite a church, but maybe a religious social club uh, type of place. Hmm. But it was always, um, or, you know, for at least uh, over 100 years, it was uh, commercial. And so it's grandfathered in as a commercial space. But it's in the middle of a residential block. Uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not a it's not a ruckus type place. You know, uh, so my neighbors don't get too upset. You know, and I, I think that people like the idea of finding this kind of you know hidden little uh, place in the middle of a residential block. They just get upset with what you do in your apartment upstairs. You know, that, that, see, that's the thing. I make more noise than the customers. <laughs> <laughs> people worry about it's a it's a big building, know. small building. It's yeah, a it's, it's a small place, about three floors. You know. Uh huh. And you live right upstairs. That's got to be. Yeah, I live. I live upstairs. Yeah. You sound excited, but not excited by that. <laughs> oh no, I, I I like living upstairs. I just don't always like everyone to know I live upstairs. <laughs> Do the does the staff like knock on your door and be like, he's not 
passing a station correctly. <laughs> Occasionally, I had to actually uh, rubber coat my door knocker because uh, the, of the uh, beer guys coming to deliver beer early in the oh morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> you used to not like getting early deliveries from the Frida. <laughs> They're like, we know he's right up there. Why doesn't he come down? Like, so so you, so you do. buy some stuff from uh, Heritage. Where, where else do you source some of your products from? Uh, well, interesting you were talking about fish that... Uh, either were caught in the Hudson or might have been in the Hudson. We occasionally, not not every week, but, you know, occasionally we'll get fish from a Blue Moon fish that's uh, there yeah. at uh, the uh, farmer's market at uh, Grand Army Plaza on Saturdays. And they get, they get fish from uh, Long Island Sound from and, you know, from other uh, local waters. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, What's it, Blue really Moon fish? Yeah, Blue, yeah, Blue Moon fish. They're yeah. in the Union Square on Wednesdays. How is it different to source fish than it is meats, than it is like fruits and vegetables? Is it all the same thing, just personal relationship, or does each food have its own kind of uh, orbit and culture to sourcing? Well, you know, there are the, the really standard uh, distribution, you know, standard systems for distribution of uh, foods. And then, you know, there's some people who kind of think out, outside of the box a little bit. Uh, you know, some some restaurants will go to one huge uh, company that will uh, provide them with everything from, you know, toilet paper and, and napkins to uh, fish and, and, and strawberries. And then, uh, you know, there are other, uh, you know, alternative uh, forms of distribution. Uh, the green market is actually now becoming uh, a major, uh, I'd say it's really becoming a major form of distribution. I, I see it um, becoming more and more and more popular. And uh, a lot of the farms are, are more and more willing to uh, work with uh, the restaurants, even like, you know, Red Jacket Orchard, that uh, we um, get our uh, stone fruit and apples and stuff from, uh, they're getting larger and they're they're sold you know at uh, a few large uh, grocery stores, uh, but they will stop by the restaurant every Friday to drop off two or three cases of, of apples or raspberries something hmm. like that. You know, so if you want the the answer short answer is if you if you want more interesting products, you've got to really look hard to source them. Jacques is a great, uh, within the Heritage Network, you know, our toughest thing of launching a wholesale pork business was what to do with the cuts you couldn't sell. Mm. So he was one of the first chefs in the country to volunteer to be like, call me when you have the <laughs> random stuff left. You uh-huh. know, I can figure out a way to make it work. That's good. That's a good way to, uh, you know, so, so you got to eat the whole thing. Can't just eat the best parts. And what are you trying to do with these foods? I mean, what is your take on food? I mean, what argument are you making in your kitchen? What argument am I making in my kitchen? I mean, in a positive you know, I, way. You I, know what I mean? What's your thing? I, I think that uh, there are a number of uh, things that I'm trying to say, uh, you know, by running Palo Santo the way I run it, more so than uh, just, you know, here's food, you know, eat it, pay me, go. Um, I think that it's it's kind of a difficult uh, medium, really, because, you know, you don't want to alienate anybody, so you don't want to preach too much. You don't want to tell people too much. You don't want to hit them over the head with it. Uh, but, um, you know, there's certain things that we do that are subtle and some that, are, you know, some that are not so subtle, like, you know, for example, that we, we get whole pigs in from, uh, heritage and we butcher them right in front of the customers in, in the open kitchen. So somebody, you know, if somebody's at the bar doing the tasting menu at the kitchen counter, they're literally, you know, six inches from, from the head of a, of a hundred pound pig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one thing we want to say is that, you know, look, this is your food. Know where your food came from. Have respect for it. And, and in turn, the people who provide you with it will respect it more. 
I, I totally agree. I think that's uh, becoming more and more important for people to understand where their food comes from and not realize that everything's pretty and packaged and, and plastic, you know, at, like at grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's, what, how long has Palo Santo been open? Uh, we just had our third anniversary, so it's uh, been a little over a little over three years. What, what's your background? Where'd you start off before that? Uh, I've, uh, you know, for the past uh, 12 years or so, I've worked in a number of uh, different restaurants, uh, picking up, you know, uh, different, different Did you work of, at Vong? I, I worked at Vong for a little while, yeah, um, about a year I worked there. Uh, I, I worked uh, for three and a half years uh, before I opened my own place at uh, this small uh, uh, pizza place in uh, Williamsburg called the Brick Oven Gallery. Uh, I've uh, worked a number of different places. I worked for San Francisco. uh, uh, Yeah, I I worked at a Z in San Francisco. I spent about a year out there uh, just to you know check it out, see what was going on out there. You know, I uh, I I I never really went to any you know school like the CIA or anything like that. I took some classes, mostly uh, nutrition classes at the Natural Gourmet. But I really feel that uh, cooking is something you've got to learn in experiencing and and doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, uh, what's the word in front of Palo Santo? It's comandir or comedor. comedor. Uh, you know, I, I never liked calling the place uh, a restaurant. I always called it a comedor, which uh, in uh, in Spanish that that means uh, dining room. Uh, comedor popular is the word for uh, communal dining hall, uh, and in uh, almost every single uh, Latin American city. Or uh, you know, in small towns, there is a central market, and right next door to the central market is a comedor popular, where you can go and eat mm. foods that were prepared from that market. Uh, comedor also could be an, an informal kind of like a supper club or something like that, and you know, we're fully licensed, of course, but you know, we we try to keep that feel of uh, the idea of going and eating in somebody's home in somebody's dining room, not so much uh, going out to a restaurant. Where where are you from? I'm from D.C. Uh, my father's from Haiti. My mom's from Delaware. Uh, I've got a lot of family in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and other places. And, uh, you know, kind of spread out a, a mix, a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Where uh, aren't you from? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be quicker. That's pretty intense. Would you say that your cuisine follows a certain style um, of, of, of Spanish or Puerto Rican or Cuban? I mean, is there a... Mm-hmm. It's as, as far as a specific nationality or, to our, our dishes, um, you know, just like, you know, you asked me my, my background and uh, I think that I'm, you know, a pretty mixed person and I think my style is pretty mixed. And I think that uh, any anybody uh, who looks at their uh, their own you know heritage is going to see that they're also uh, mixed. And that's something that I think, you know, is really beautiful about humanity and that we you know try to express in our cuisine. So we don't stick to one specific, you know, regional cuisine. Uh, we use a lot of local ingredients from from New York State. So, you know, is it is it not uh, is Italian, the food not New York? Then, cuisine? Yeah, New, New York or Italian. <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. But is there a certain ingredients you tend towards more, even if they're available year round or or like you're really waiting for that season to come because it's a certain food that you grew up? tasting tomatoes potatoes eggs yeah i would say uh right right now is uh, a great season it's the end of the summer uh one thing that i really uh, like to do is to source uh products directly from the farm and specifically from uh latin american growers who are you know here in in new jersey or in new york 
for for example, the the Teos uh, egg farm uh, in Red Hook, New York, we uh, get eggs from them all year round. But now they also have a number of different vegetables and uh, Nestor plants. You know, odd, uh, odd odd species of potatoes and chilies and corn and you know different uh kind of quirky little vegetables that he just plants a few of you know i don't even know what he's uh gonna bring by uh sometimes and sometimes he introduces me to new things there was uh, one time he brought by it's uh kind of like uh cucumber but it's hollow and it's called caigua or pe- uh, pepino de rellenar uh and you know for for stuffing he brought the seeds back from colombia and he was able to grow vines uh, in his uh, greenhouse that's here. happening more and more i find that um these uh uh, immigrants are are doing are have starting farms that are growing things that aren't uh, common around here uh, and are very different. Um, I also really love this season now because uh, peppers and the end of summer is just where everything is. There's, I mean, you go to the market; it's like a big playground. Um, hmm. But the peppers are coming in, and the ahi dolces are. Uh, hmm. Those peppers are really really good. Fantastic. Um, and have you thought of a second restaurant, Jack? Um, you know, I mean, are you do you stri- uh, crave or do you like the idea of that one place and the relationships you've built there? You know, it's it's a funny thing. Um, I haven't yet really had the opportunity to open a, a new place, you know, and, um, you know, with the economy the way it is, it's, you know, kind of better to uh, be a little more cautious, I think. Uh, but uh, a, new, a new place would be really hard for me to run because I'm at Palo Santo uh, yeah, you're all, there all, the, all time. the time, you know, and it would be, I don't know, I, I, I used to think about that, uh, but then three years into it, I'm very happy at Palo Santo, you know, I make an honest living for myself there and I, I do, you know, do what I want to do, do what I always uh, wanted to be doing. And so, you know, there's not really a need for me to open a second place now. How big is your staff, your kitchen staff? Um, my kitchen staff, uh, there's uh, two dishwashers and uh, two cooks uh, and then myself, you know, so that's uh, it's, it's pretty small. We have two interns now also. Do you do lunch or you do dinner or you do uh, lunch and dinner? Uh, dinner seven nights a week and brunch on the weekends. Fantastic. Um, I actually have a personal question. I want to ask about your Pan-American Highway uh, trip that you took. I mean, did you go from Chile to Mexico? Before opening up uh, Palo Santo, uh, I took an eight-month eight trip where I uh, studied the uh, you know cuisine of a number of different uh, countries in Latin America, and I I started out in, I flew to Argentina and I worked for a couple months at a winery in Argentina and then made my way up mostly by, by bus or by boat from, yeah. you know, some of the way hitchhiking, some of the way, uh, you know, getting a ride on, on a boat, some of the way, you know, on uh, trains and public transportation, uh, all the way up to uh, Mexico City where I spent uh, two months and then uh you know i'm jealous wow came home with a whole book of recipes (laughs) is that a tough trip uh yeah is it it dangerous is it i mean would you recommend it for everyone or i mean the south americans seem very nice i mean were they did they make it easy for you um i i'd recommend you know definitely traveling to everyone i think that uh you know as far as that specific trip is is right for everybody i don't know uh, it's, a, it's a long time to be uh to be Eight traveling is a very yeah. long time what cultures cuisines uh did one in particular a style or a place or or, or i mean or is it similar 
between the various countries there? I, I'd say the two places in uh, Latin America that have the most interesting cuisines uh, would be uh, Central Mexico and uh, Peru and, and Bolivia also. Uh, I think I would attribute that uh, to the uh, you know, existence of a, of a pre-Columbian civilization that was mm. uh, you know, very far advanced. Uh, the Incas, the the Mayans, the Aztecs—you know—they all had uh, very, you know, far advanced uh, cuisines. And uh, when that, you know, mixed with uh, the Spanish and the African and and you know whatever else uh, in Southeast Asian, and you know, it it really made uh, an interesting uh, cuisine that uh, is, you know, preserved today. That's amazing. Central Mexico is that Chiapas? Uh, well, like, you know, uh, Mexico City, Puebla, okay. Oaxaca, Chiapas also. Um, really interesting uh, foods. And in uh, Peru also, you know, the, I think that those two uh, places were the two, you know, real uh, centers of uh, pre-Columbian, uh, high pre-Columbian civilization. Uh-huh. Will you be on next week uh, and tell us about your catering gig to Marcos, the head of the Zapatista Revolution? <laughs> Did you ever work with him? Anyway, uh, this has been very, very interesting. Uh, Jacques, it's uh, Palo Santo. Um, is there a website people can go to? Yeah, palosanto.us. P-A-O-L-O. P-A- Oh, P-A-L-O. <laughs> Palosanto.us. P-A-L-O-S-A-N-T-O.us. Dot U-S. It's a very de- a delicious restaurant, and it's so beautiful, especially that back area with the fountain. You kind of feel like you're not in New York. That's a, it's a close bike ride for me, so I should, I should head over there soon. And to be fair, Back 40 is very good. Shana is the amazing co-host. No one would co-host with me. We asked thousands of people until you finally said yes. Oh, I, Just oh, kidding. I was your last choice. No, you were the first. I'm kidding. I wouldn't admit that on air. I and wouldn't it, admit that on air. So um, hopefully you'll be back, Shauna. You've been an amazing co-host. Thanks. And on the main course. Is this my last week? Report. No, I mean, well, next week you're going. Next week I'm going. So, we're going yeah. on a field trip. Where are you going next week? We're doing a staff party, and we're going, uh, getting a bus and going down to Maxwell Farms in New Jersey, and we're going to cook out whole lamb and drink beer and wine and lay in the grass. You're and, the Max, Shauna. And, and play softball, or kickball. Kickball. You know what's fun? Uh, these guys at Roberta's, they put three of those slip-in slides together. <gasps> slip-in slides. You can get slide. like 40, 50 miles an that's hour. A good so. one. Three together, though. That's the key. So um, this has been great. We talked about the River Project. We talked about Palo Santo. And next week, we'll talk about more food-related causes and themes. That's what the show's about, right? All right. Thanks for having me. Next week, stay tuned for the Q Report coming up next.